Welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporters Mason Kern, Jack Harris, and as always, the one and only site publisher, Chris Cartman. Guys, how you doing today? Doing great, Rob. It's a wonderful day. I, I uh, sat outside yesterday, had a couple of drinks. Wait, I had like half of a beer, actually, <laughs> and uh, enjoyed what might be the last weekend or 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 so of uh, nice weather before we get kind of warm. Yeah, doing well, Rob. Um, Chris enticed us with some Matt's Big Breakfast after this, so I'm really looking forward to to our little adventure after this podcast. I don't know, though. Rob called Chris old before we started recording the podcast. That is complete lie. Not even close to accurate. That is (laughs) not even close to true and complete lie. So we're going to move on from that. We're going to start talking about basketball and not Jack fabricating and Bobby Hurley announced Thursday that he's going to stay with Arizona State men's basketball. Chris, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think uh, there was definitely truth to the reporting that Bobby Hurley was the top candidate, and there were conversations uh, informally between Duke's athletic director, who was at uh, our St. John's athletic director, who was at Duke for 31 years, uh, starting when Bobby Hurley was actually still a player at the school uh, in the SID office. So they've known each other quite a long time. Uh, they were both at the Final Four, just kind of informal conversations. Uh, there was uh, a lot of conversation about the, the vitamin water founder, who's a St. John's alum, being uh, interested in trying to help elevate the program through financial contributions that could possibly entice Hurley or whoever St. John's ended up hiring uh, to that uh, job. Uh, at the end of the day, I just think that it wasn't the right job at the right time for Bobby Hurley, from what I've gathered. Uh, it's not to say that there wasn't any interest whatsoever, but not really surprised to see him say at ASU. A lot of fans consider that to be, and even some reporters out there and people in the basketball community consider that to be a, at best, a lateral move, if not a worse job currently. Uh, everybody knows I think that Bobby Hurley is grew up in the shadow of New York City, and so that's something that could have maybe be, been perceived as exciting. Also, Rashawn Berno, who's their associate head coach, played for Bobby Hurley's dad in Jersey City. So there, there's there's some elements that, that, that could have been uh, very enticing to them. Uh, but Bobby Hurley's son is a, you know just completing his sophomore year in high school. His family, of course, is really happy. At ASU, just accomplished uh, back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances for the first time since 80 and 81. And uh, now he's going to become presumably one of the highest paid assistants in the Pac-12. He already was in the top third or so, uh, but his contract will probably now... Uh, be rewritten to to pay him in excess of two point five million dollars a year, escalating uh, over the 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 next few years, and that's a big development for ASU basketball because uh, the recruiting has been better under Hurley, fan attendance has been better. There's been uh, some success in terms of getting to the NCAA tournament, and uh, he believes clearly that there's more positive things to come. Yeah. Um I could have seen why he would have left to take the St. John's job. Uh, I think, you know, something in, in the way I looked at it is for all the success that Bobby Hurley's had, let's say ASU misses the tournament next year. There's probably going to be for the first time in his, in his tenure, there's probably going to be a faction of people who might start to wonder, okay, is it time to start thinking about moving on from Bobby Hurley? And that's not 
it's just from a fan side of things. But I think when you're a coach, like you have to consider all these different things and what happens if uh, a year goes goes worse than I expect it to, and, and things can turn on coaches pretty quick. I think even ASU's history, um, it's like the last four guys to be fired all went to NCAA tournaments within, I think, three or four years of them actually getting fired. So um, things can – once you get to years five, six, seven at a program, it gets a little tougher to hang around. Um, but he's not there yet. They're still having a lot of success. Uh, and, and I think what Chris said is right. St. John's as a head-to-head job against ASU probably uh, – is it, it's not better. They're they're similar, I think. Um, the one thing I'd say is, you know, a place like St. John's, and I think this is something to, to consider if he gets job offers in the future. You know, a place like St. John's is probably easier to win in the Big East than it is to win at ASU in the mm-hmm. Pac-12, just because there's so many bigger, better programs in the Pac-12. ASU isn't quite up as high in the pecking order. Historically um, better. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, for the, the other part of this that I that you wonder about a little is, you know, how many times is ASU going to be able to do a contract extension or a new contract um, with Hurley and with other teams coming around. But for now, like this seemed like the, the outcome that was most likely to begin with. Um, and, and I think it makes sense for both sides. Yeah. I mean, there was obviously definitely a real possibility of, of Bobby Hurley leaving. Um, the, the interest was, was mutual, but I, I think, some of the the setbacks for for St. John's, I mean, he probably didn't want to go and, and recruit against his brother at at UConn. Um, there and, and I mean the relationship with with the the AD, I mean that that obviously helps. But I think in terms of of just this the the, the interest as a whole, Bobby Hurley. I mean, as a coach, he's had two head coaching jobs, Buffalo and ASU, and as a as a coach. It's good to have your name circling around for 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 other jobs. It it creates interest um, for for you as a as a brand, and um, so I think that that was was part of it. And and you don't want your career to stagnate in terms of being at one place too long. Um, so so I think all those things kind of culminated into the, now the final decision of okay, he is staying at Arizona State, but all those factors kind of played into to the interest. And one more, th- ASU is set up to have a lot more success than St. John's is in the next two years. And I think, you know, as as enticing as the St. John's job might have been, I think if you look at ASU's roster, especially two years from now and potentially how good they could be, um, you know, if, if things keep going the way they are, there's going to be better job offers down the line. So Bobby Hurley staying at Arizona State, one person that's not staying at Arizona State, Lou Gensdort, who announced on Wednesday that he's entering the NBA draft with plans to hire an agent, and uh, multiple people have told Sun Devil Source uh, that he's going to stay in the NBA draft regardless of where he's taken. Chris, did you expect this? Um, so initially, I had heard that from program sources that there was a, a pretty good possibility that he would return to school if the uh, NBA advisory committee came back with a second-round likelihood grade uh, for Dort and he was still going through all of his classes and trying to finish up strong because there's certain rules that you have to meet in order to be able to withdraw and come back Um, but increasingly it looks like he's going to stay in regardless that's uh, what his intentions are at this point from um, what I've what I've uh, learned and uh, not not really surprised just given the way that college basketball is and how so many of these guys are are uh, willing to, to 
leave school early. He leaves school after one season, and uh, he would have. There's you know competing factors here that have to be considered. Uh, he would have almost certainly gotten better with another year in some of the the key areas that I think a lot of people know, like his feel for the game, decision making, his perimeter shooting, his ability to finish inside, playing without the basketball. Right, those are like his his key you know range of things that he needs to develop, and probably would have been better in the next year. Competing against that is that the draft uh, is going to be tougher next year. This is considered to be a very light, watered down draft. After you get past the t- first 10 or 15 picks, uh, it's in the eye of the beholder. And there could be some teams that feel like they have a, a big need in the backcourt that he that he solidifies, that he helps them with. And he could become a first-round draft pick, especially if t- he works out well and the NBA combine goes well and all those things. Um, you know, So maybe he would have not improved as much as scouts and and front offices wanted to see in the next year and then in a tougher draft maybe he actually wouldn't have had much better stock overall given that the draft was going to be harder and of course on the ASU side of this it's the it's a a sign of the times ASU this is this is its first player who was a one and done James Harden famously you know Mm -hmm. uh one of the best players in the NBA, if not the best player right now, it it was a two year guy in college. And, um, there's nobody like, obviously some guys have dropped out of school or left school or after a year, but not entering the NBA draft and got and been drafted or had a really good chance to get drafted. So, uh, that's a sign of Bobby Hurdley's improved recruiting because they, their rosters permeated by a lot of four star players. And that hadn't happened before, including some top 50 type guys. Lou Dort was around 30th, uh, and there's other guys that were really highly regarded as well. So uh, it's an indication of that. And with with Dort and Zylan Cheatham leaving, that's, of course, two of ASU's three best players, the other being uh, Remy Martin, who's a returning second-team all-league player. And so there's there's some some holes on the roster that they're going to have to fix. I think that what, in terms of fixing the, some of those holes, I mean, you have you – have some help in the backcourt coming, Jalen House and, and Alonzo Verge out of JUCO. He was just named a, a JUCO All-American for the second straight year, and he led JUCO in, in, in scoring, I think, at 30.9 yeah. points per game. So, I mean, there is help on the way, and I, I feel like Verge will, will have an opportunity now with Dort leaving to make a pretty immediate impact uh, here just, just now with his departure. Yeah, so just to bring up everybody to speed on, on Verge as well, he – was the only player to average 30 points in the NJCAA, uh, which is a lot of the the junior colleges. There's different associations, but that's the biggest one. And uh, the next closest player was around 26 points. And But Verge also was among the top assists in, nationally, 8.4 assists, and he shot 41% from three. So he's a, a thinner, you know, not as physically imposing type of a guy as Dort, who also is around the same height, maybe an inch or so taller. Uh, but Verge has a has a, a totally different type of a court game and and style as a player, and uh, I think that along with Rob Edwards, uh, who had surgery by the way, um, you know you know he's dealt with back issues the whole off season. I, heard, I was told it was a kind of a minor surgery. We'll, we'll see about that. But um, I think with Rob Edwards 
and uh, of course Remy Martin. You have Lonzo Verge. I think those are going to be their probably top three guards. I'm wondering how how good Verge is going to become because he's going to need to be really pretty good. I think based on the guys that they're losing and where he's going to be filled in. So I'm curious um, for them to sustain. Their- yeah, I mean for them to sustain the level of play and at least. I mean I think it, I think the most likely case is they get at least a little bit worse. Losing the two guys they're losing, but I think that, you know, I think fans are pretty optimistic that they can stay around where they are in the Pac-12. I mean, maybe get a little bit worse as the Pac-12 gets better, but I'm really curious to see how some of the incoming guys are going to do because I think a lot is going to be thrust upon them, as well as a lot more on Rob Edwards, who was pretty inconsistent. We didn't get to see if he can do it consistently for... I mean, I don't even really think we saw half a season of it because of the injury and because of other factors like mm-hmm. that. And then how much more improvement that you see from right. guys as they transition upperclassmen. Right. Right. Sean Cherry was, you know, hot and cold and can, had injury problems. Can and, Kamani Lawrence be as solid as people expected him to potentially be when he came to ASU and was a highly regarded recruit? Those are the questions that I think are going to be interesting as we head into, you know, Arizona State basketball season next year. It's also hard to assess. I mean, when you when you have a player like Zylan Cheatham on the roster and and fans and and, and even the t- you you might take it for granted until now that he's gone. I mean, replacing a guy who averaged a double-double, first team all-conference player and, and just the leadership factor that he provided to this team. I mean, he's going to it's going to be really hard to replace his impact, but I, I mean, in terms of Verge just I think that he plays a lot different than Dort, and it's going to be a lot different style. So it's going to be interesting to see how he translates from junior college to now the Pac-12. When okay, now you're put, being put in a system where you're going to be you're going to have some expectations to to replace yeah. this this prolific player. You're not going to have the ball in your hand anywhere near as much right. as you did the last two years because you also have Remy Martin on on your team. And can Remy Martin improve? I think that's another question. He's He's been very good, one of the most solid players for ASU the past couple years. Probably should have been a first-team all right, right. player this year. I'm curious, though, like, can he be a star? Like, I, I know he's very solid, and I, I almost— uh, To find star, because I mean, he was a second-team all year. Yeah, I, and I get that. I mean, can, can he average over 20 a game, potentially? Could he I average— I think that they probably want that from him. You know? Really? More no. of a facilitator guy. Not, not yeah. if Romello White and Kamani Lawrence and Tayshawn Cherry and Verge give you what they hope that they are going to get. I would say more – I mean, the, there's only maybe one guy in the conference who averaged more than 20 points last year. Franks. Yeah, Robert Franks. So I think more more so maybe 15, 16 points, which is – I think Dort yeah. averaged 16 points this year. And ASU played better when the team as a whole averaged more assists when that directly correlated to when Martin was having more assists. They were winning more games. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in his role on this team, I don't know if scoring is... I mean, sure, they love when, when he has a 20-plus a point game, but, I mean, that's not necessarily the role that, that he fits into on right. this team. And we'll have much more on ASU basketball's roster ahead of next year and all of that. Um, but now we're going to move into ASU baseball, currently the number 13th-ranked team, uh, according to Division One Baseball. And ASU Baseball last night defeated number four Oregon State on Friday night. But we haven't actually had a podcast since Arizona State's win against Arizona in the Territorial Cup, the series sweep. Um, since then, ASU lost a midweek game to Long Beach State, a 3-23 and team that when Long Beach State came into that game. And they lost their first series of the year to a USC team that came into the weekend at 10-17. and then there was the UNLV implosion when they were winning nine to four in the ninth oh, inning. Yeah, that's that was, what it was like. That was what it really seemed like. And then Arizona State comes out and they 
beat the defending national champions on Friday night, and Alec Marsh looks like a top 10 pitcher in college baseball. So this team has it all. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Uh, so I think the way to look at the last week is the from the Long Beach State and, and even probably the Sunday game against Arizona to the UNLV yeah. game is was their first bad week of the season. They lost four out of five games. They didn't. They didn't pitch well at all. The defense was shaky uh, consistently for the Shaky's first time all year. Kind. Shaky's yeah. being very kind. Um, you know the, the the bats were were hot and cold. Torkelson and, and Hunter Bishop have have cooled off just a little. Although Torkelson's power has come around more. Um, I think the interesting thing after that, because like losing four out of five, that's going to happen to just about every team in college baseball. The interesting thing was if it started to affect ASU long-term, especially when you have a series like this weekend's against Oregon State and you still have to play UCLA and Stanford at home and they go to Cal and Washington. And these are a lot of tough series they have left on the schedule. Um, so for them to open uh, the, the Oregon State series with, with that win on Friday night with Alec Marsh, again, probably the best pitching performance he's had in an ASU jersey, had a complete game, three-hitter, Face the minimum batters in seven to nine innings, which was pretty incredible. Um, you know, that's something they haven't had in the past, where they've they haven't had a, a Friday night stopper guy who can help get them out of ruts. Because April, the month of April, has been really their biggest bugaboo uh, the last couple years. Bugaboo. Uh, yeah, they they especially I, even in Tracy Smith's tenure, you go back to that first year, they were a top ten team for the first couple months of the season. They had a bad April. They get knocked out in a regional. Uh, two or last year, April, another really bad month for them. You know, it's the time of year Carter Aldretti, the junior outfielder, w- was saying on Sunday that you know this is the time of year, especially when you still have a younger team like ASU does. Okay, you're two months into the season now. This is when things you, you kind of hit a slog. Guys get a little bit tired, but you're not close enough to the end of the season to where you know the intensity is 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 super high and you can smell the postseason all of that. So it's a very awkward part of the schedule and you saw that reflected uh in in the usc series especially i think the one positive if you're looking for one coming out of the unlv game in which they blew a nine to four lead in the bottom of the ninth and walked six hitters there was a bach that scored a run there was a wild pitch that scored a run the game ended on a bases loaded walk the one thing that asu's coaches were hoping would happen and tracy smith talked about this on friday night is that loss was so bad was so shocking that it might have been the thing that can that, that, that can get them out of the run, kind of wake them up and go, okay, we need to refocus. And on the same time, it could also be the kind of loss that can really send your season on a spiral. So that's why it was so important for them to, to get that start from Alec Marsh last night, to come out and get a win, even if they lose this series to Oregon State, which is very possible, especially because right. ASU is not going to have R.J. Davidovich to pitch on Sunday. And they might not have him for a couple weeks. Tracy Smith didn't give an exact timeline on that. Um, but to get that win and to at least stop things and not go down a path where you're losing five or six or seven out of eight, um, that was important. So we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, but if you were panicking and, and thinking the season's lost or ASU can't get out of a regional or anything just because of the, that five-game stretch, I think that's a little premature. But again, it, it showed off some of these issues we've been talking about all year that they had been able to avoid. The question I think will be as we go through the next few games is did they really recover from that downward trajectory or just did Alec Marsh's strong mm-hmm. play 
sort of save them in a more of a, a brief respite from that play. What I took from that slide was it it was multifaceted their problems. We know that they have a short be- short pen, and when their starter pit- starting pitchers don't last that long, it makes everything it, so much more difficult on the whole team, and it makes a very tough kind of catapulting effect on the whole bullpen after that. It's pretty much what I was going to say, and then uh, and then. But also, when games tend to start losing their form and going that way for ASU, then you see more defensive errors, more more miscues, more mental lapses. And so it, it actually springboards, right? When their starting pitching is really solid, and especially when, when, when Marsh gets them going on a Friday, uh, it seems yeah. to have a, a carry-through effect through the west, rest of their weekend. I know he pitched five innings or whatever against USC, but he took his first loss, and uh, the team didn't play well like the rest of the weekend. And um, so I think it's going to be curious. I'm curious to find out how they do. We're recording this on Saturday morning. How they do in tonight's game? How they do on Sunday against the, what their best opponent that they faced this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, and ASU hasn't lost a series at home. And so these are the types. They've only of, lost one series all year. Yeah. I know, right? So these are the these are the types of yeah. series that are going to really be determinative, especially when you don't have Dabovich for maybe multiple weeks, maybe a month. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, and are other players going to be able to elevate their their play, or is the bullpen kind of so tired at this point that they're not going to be able to do that? sustaining through the end of the season those are some of the questions that we have and we knew that the the bats would cool down to some degree oh, definitely that 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 was an inevitability but we'll see where they sort of stabilize and then i think uh, if they can avoid a lot of the the mental errors and beating themselves and even with that the bats have stayed very hot you know just if you're looking at it on paper they're still ridiculous batting averages and and really great numbers from a lot of guys like hunter bishop and spencer torkelson alika williams i think lyle lynn still has a pretty high batting average um, but I think what Chris is saying is is definitely true, and it's just interesting that it seems like you're relying on Alec Marsh so much more each each time out now, and he hasn't been able to. I mean, he's never done this in a season, so I'm curious. Even for a guy like him who's been so solid this year, can he continue to to sustain this level of play? It seems hard to believe. He just shut down one of the best teams in the nation in Oregon State. Uh, the <clears throat> Uh, probable number one pick in the draft next year. Adley Rutschman was over three against him. Uh, there were some balls hit pretty far uh, toward the track last night that, that were caught, um, but he did a very good job, and I I don't know if Arizona State is going to be relying so uh, too much on that because he's just a guy that hasn't done this in his life. So maybe he can, and I know Arizona State believes that he can, but it's, you know, with what's going on with Dabovich, with the fact that some of the guys in the bullpen look more shaky now than they have been all season, I'm curious what he's going to continue to do. But that's been the story of the season, right, is that ASU is relying on a bunch of guys who are playing better than they ever have before. Um, And and the question is how much of that is just natural progression? How much is that? Are these guys outperforming even what their own talents and skill sets have? I think – and I think what's interesting about this series is – for the first time this year, you're you're really facing an opponent that you're not like you're not going to be able to um, like you're not going to be able to get by without playing really solid. Oregon State 
a very solid team, a great pitching staff, great defensively, um, a, a solid lineup. So if, if you're not playing well, it's going to be exposed. And that, I think, was what was so impressive about Marsh's performance on Friday is the fact that, okay, he's been beating up on a lot of lesser teams and lesser lineups this year, much in the same way ASU as a team has been beating up on lesser opponents. So the fact that he was able to go out and do that is probably the, the most impressive thing he's done this year and the thing that I think fills ASU's coaching staff with the most optimism that he'll be able to continue pitching near this level the rest of the season. And now the same question over the next two days will apply to the rest of the team. Can they follow that up and actually outplay or at least play with one of the, the legitimately best teams in the country? So that's the thing to watch. They're going to have a lot of challenges like this down the rest of the season. And this week could be a good indicator of what the final month and a half of the year might look like. So we'll have much more on ASU baseball, obviously, but we're also going to have a premium podcast that will drop in the next day or so, and that will go more in-depth on ASU basketball in terms of the roster going forward next year and additional context about Bobby Hurley's decision. We're also going to be talking about ASU football offering an unprecedented 12 freshmen on a single day, so stay tuned for that conversation, that podcast. It'll be on the premium. So for staff reporters, Jack Harris, Mason Kearney, and as always, site publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Rob Werner, saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.